Welcome back to the Salted Caramel Podcast, where we have listeners from all around the world, like Brazil and Spain and mainly Canada. My name is David Cook. I'm the stewardship director here at Our Lady Mount Carmel, and with me is my co-host, Jody Curtis. Jody, who's our guest today? Our guest today is our summer seminarian, Jordan Boone. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here with you guys. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Yeah, you know, it's been a good summer and happy to be back at Our Lady. So good. it's where it all started for me. So it's it good to, to come home in some way. Amen. Did we put you to work this summer or were you kind of? Yeah, it? yeah. It's been busy with a parish this big. There's a little bit of everything going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so tell us more about your story and your connection to Our Lady. Yeah, yeah. So over quarantine, I'm sure we all picked up new hobbies. And one of my new hobbies was genealogy and trying to figure out the family tradition. When you have a last name like Boone, you kind of want to know if you're related to Daniel Boone. Yep. Oh, so, of course. Yeah, yeah. So going through this uh, this past year, I got my family back to 1740s, the furthest back I could get us in wow. America. And through all of that, uh, my family's been Quaker. So I grew up Quaker, uh, going to First Friends Church over in Noblesville. So on my dad's side, that was our, our heritage. And that's where we grew up, going with dad and grandpa and grandma over to First Friends from about the time that I was five until maybe 12. And so a traditional Quaker service, Quakerism is very different than Catholicism. I always tell kids, if you think Catholic Mass is boring, you could have been raised a traditional Quaker. (laughs) Because for traditional Quakers, a Sunday meeting, you get together for an hour of silent prayer because the big thing is the indwelling of God. So God is within all of us, which we as Catholics hold to. But they just sit and pray interiorly. And if you felt like you had something to share with the community, at the end, there'd be a time for that. And if not, that was it. And so that's traditional Quaker worship. Uh, I grew up in one that was a little bit more influenced by mainstream Protestantism. So kind of your typical Protestant service mm-hmm. uh, in Sunday school and then a potluck dinner with grandpa and grandma and all their friends. And so growing up, that was really my religious experience. And my dad was a doctor. So when he started to work in the emergency room on weekends, that's kind of when we quit going to church because mm-hmm. it was dad's side of the family we went with. And so probably about the time I was 12, my faith dropped off at that point. Wow. And I didn't really have a lot to hold on to. I hadn't really met Christ yet, as we say. Uh, so from the time I was probably 12 to 15, 16, I kind of fell into that agnostic phase or that atheist phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, not having kind of the natural religiousness that my younger brother did because he kind of kept the faith going. Did he? Yeah. Your but younger brother. Younger brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is he still Quaker to this day? No, no. So okay. he actually became Catholic the year after I did. Oh. So, so yeah. So we're going to get there. Yes, sorry, sorry. Jumped ahead. Yeah, no, no. That's good. <laughs> so about the time I was 15, I was playing football. So typical 15-year-old kind of self-centered kid, self-interested. Still are. Oh, hey, hey, hey. For, <laughs> formation works. <laughs> yeah. But my goals were to play football, uh-huh. and I was playing football primarily so I could get a girlfriend. So those were my two goals as a 15-year-old <laughs> kid. Very intertwined. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, we were playing football in the offseason, and I went to tackle a kid who was heftier than I was. And I didn't have enough momentum to take him down in kind of a clean tackle where you, you kind of pull them uh, sideways. So I wrapped him up in my arms, and not knowing what to do, but having stopped his momentum, I tried to yank him down. And I pulled him down on top of my right foot and tore the ligaments. So they said it was like the trauma of an automobile accident is what had happened to me. And and so my dad, being a doctor, referred me to a friend of his, Dr. Tom Sidadine, who's a parishioner at Our Lady Mount Carmel. Uh. 
And what struck me being that 15-year-old self-centered kid, Dr. Sididine was taking a few days out of his office just to kind of get away and rest and, you know, recharge. But he came in for this kid he had never met to look at my foot and tell me what was wrong and try to get my surgery set up. And so I was inspired by that selflessness because as a 15-year-old, that's so foreign to to what I'm interested in doing for anyone else. (laughs) Uh, But there was this other thing that was the connection. So going back to my Quaker roots, Quakers being so big on the internal and the interior, we didn't have any religious art in our meeting house and we didn't really do any sacraments. So he had a crucifix on his office wall, which really intrigued me. And I kind of made this connection. Here's this guy giving up his time off for a kid he's never met. And here's this crucifix, which I don't know anything about. So I asked my parents and they said, yeah, Dr. Sidadine's a Catholic. And so I just kind of put those things together. Here's this man who lives differently. Here's this connection to the cross and Christ on the cross. Wow. What's going on there? Uh-huh. Yeah. That summer, I couldn't, I couldn't condition for football. Uh-huh. I couldn't do anything. Couldn't walk. I, five screws put into my right foot and then later five screws taken out. And I had to learn to walk again on that foot. And no girlfriend? No girlfriend. Uh-huh. Even through that, no girlfriend. <laughs> <Didn't> work. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of that summer, so it had been about three months, mm-hmm. uh, I told my parents, yeah, I think I want to learn more about becoming a Catholic. And at that point, my parents were actually thrilled because for them, having fallen away from any faith, hmm. just to be open to, to some kind of faith was a huge jolt for them. Hmm. Uh, so we reached out to Dr. Sidadine, who had av- never actually talked about religion with me. Hmm. So he had no idea that after that first meeting, he had set me on this spiritual journey these past three months. And so he was a little... A little like shell shocked by the fact that he radically changed someone's life uh-huh. um, by having a crucifix on his wall and just sacrificing his time too. and sacrificing yeah. his time. Yeah, because over the course of that summer, I'd started to read the Bible because I wanted to know about this Jesus that mm-hmm. Doctor Sidadine's life seemed formed by. But also for me, the key thing was I read the writings of the Church Fathers. So there's a little book I think it simply was titled like The Teachings of the Church Fathers by Ignatius Press, mm-hmm. kind of like a little collection based on topic. So the Eucharist, confession, mass. Uh, And so reading that and putting that together with the Bible, if I was going to be Christian, I liked that it made people live better, but it also needed to be true. Because even as a 15, 16-year-old, I loved history. Mm -hmm. So it had to be consistent. There had to be a truth claim there. And so reading the Bible, reading the church fathers, it seemed to map on. And I tried to go back to the Quaker meeting house, and I obviously don't doubt my grandparents' faith or any of the Quakers' faith. Last time I saw my grandma, she had six Bibles scattered around her room. So don't at all doubt their faith, but to have read about especially the true presence in the Eucharist. So so Jesus, knowing that he made us not just spiritual but material, came physically to dwell with us and to give himself to us in the Eucharist. And and that physicality uh, really drew me in that sacramental presence. So for me, the Quaker Meeting House, while there's genuine faith on the part of the people, there was an absence for me. Mm -hmm. And so going through RCIA for those nine months, uh, so my parents would drive me 45 minutes on Monday nights to attend RCIA, and the four priests took turns teaching the classes, and they would drive me 45 minutes each Sunday to go to Mass. And so my parents, incredibly, incredibly selfless, growing up in lapel. Yeah, this is at Our Lady, because I was living in lapel, Indiana, Mm -hmm. farm town. It's a speck on the map. Uh, I think we're up to two four-way stoplights, which is Whoa. more than when I first got there. And we have one ice cream place. And every couple of years, we win a basketball championship in the smallest conference. <laughs> but So we would make the drive out to Carmel mm-hmm. so I could go to the classes. So my parents, incredibly supportive mm-hmm. through that. 
That's unreal. Yeah. You, uh, not to put you on the spot, but I think I hear a lot of conversion moments of people really pointing to the founding fathers, the church fathers. Can you point to some that you read that you would recommend? Yeah. I think St. Ignatius of Antioch was a huge one for me. So he died in 107, I believe it is. So he's just this great witness of the early teachings right out of the first going into the start of the second century, so much so that he's willing to die uh, for these claims. And so he's pointing to things like the true presence. He's pointing to things like uh, the priesthood. He's pointing to uh, penance and to the true value of martyrdom and what it means to not just live, but die a life like Christ in that invitation. So he was a huge one for me. And then St. Irenaeus too, one of the great teachers uh, who points to how do we know what is true teaching, uh, which for me, kind of wanting to not just be a nice person, but to live in reality, that was huge for me. What does it mean uh, to be a Christian? And how do you know what true Christianity looks like? And so those two especially were huge for me. And then St. Athanasius, the great bishop out of Egypt, who again and again was exiled for standing up for the truth, uh, and especially in a world like ours, where I think a lot of people are searching for something to stake their life on that uh, not just is this true, um, but truth has become incarnate and truth has become a person and knowing that person grounds everything that I do. Yeah, so those were the wow. church fathers for me that were particularly inspiring. Great, that's awesome. And what? how did this RCIA experience and then uh, joining the Catholic Church, how did that impact the rest of your family? Obviously, your mom and dad made the commitment to bring you to class and to Mass. Yeah, yeah. So it really changed everything for my family because even my parents would say that it really reawakened their own faith at that point, uh, seeing me kind of come to life and seeing the change that Catholicism made in my life and seeing how... I'd become part of that family, especially so having not been baptized, I received all three of the sacraments, uh, baptism, confirmation, and first communion at the Easter vigil, March 22nd, 2008. And it was just a beautiful moment for my family standing with me after mass as this church full of people uh, were leaving. So many came up to me and just welcomed me home was the key phrase I heard over and over again, welcome home. And to really feel that from these people who uh, most of them I did not know, who just happened to be at the midnight, uh, the vigil mass. Um, but because we shared this love for this person, for Christ Jesus, um, they became my family. And for my family to see that kind of support, to see that kind of community for them uh, was really awe-inspiring. And then they saw how that changed my life uh, through that next year, so much so that my younger brother, Jean-Luc, uh, decided to go through RCIA the next year. So he was <laughs> baptized at the, uh, the Easter Vigil in 2009. So he became Catholic the year after me, and it's kind of continued. So my parents started RCIA when I went to seminary in 2014, and uh, their process got a little stalled. My dad developed some health issues that we've still been working through. But uh, officially, they're still catechumen, so they're still kind of on that journey. And one of my half-sisters just put her kids in the Catholic school this past year, and the kids, uh, especially the one in second grade, seeing their classmates prepare to receive First Communion and going through some of those lessons on the Eucharist, mm -hmm. uh, my nieces and nephews are, are asking to be baptized and they want to become Catholic. Uh -huh. So it's something that continues to kind of ripple out through my family over the course Amen. of these years. Praise nice. God. Yeah. And uh, obviously it rippled out through your family. How, how did your uh, conversion ripple out through your life? How did it affect the way you lived? 
Oh man, it changed everything. So it changes the friendships I have. It changes how I spend my time. Obviously it's changed the entire orientation of my life through the vocation. Yeah. Uh, but I would say uh, definitely giving me an anchor. So I think in the course of my life, one of the things that's been a repeating theme is kind of this restlessness and this searching and this wondering, which I think is just really common in the modern world, but especially along, among millennials. Because mm -hmm. I think sometimes as we just look around the world, um, there's a great uprootedness. So a lot of us came of age during the Great Recession and uh, now we're in our late 20s in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And mm -hmm. there's just been a lot of ups and downs and instability in the course of our lives and a lot of searching, especially as, uh, you know, the 24 hour news cycle, social media, everything's just kind of up for grabs. And for me, I think there's a certain amount of, uh, peace and having dependence on God. So I think a lot of us have kind of been sold this idea that you need to invent yourself and kind of become that self-made, uh, person carving out your own life, finding your own truth. And I think as I looked around in my own life and my own struggles, uh, that was just really unsatisfying. And there can be a great loneliness in that. And you go where you think, uh, where you think promises the destination, and then you get there, and then suddenly you realize that it's just pointing somewhere else, and it's yeah. pointing somewhere else, and it's just kind of this continual hunger. And at a certain point, you just want to know that there's someone who loves you and cares about you and grounds you and gives you meaning. And in my life, uh, before my conversion, but also in high school, I, I went through my own struggles after conversion. What kept me grounded was that dependence on God. There's someone uh, outside of myself who gives my life meaning, mm -hmm. who gives me purpose and direction, and ultimately who is the love who never leaves me alone, which I think is what we're all really searching for. I think it's to be able to find someone in life, but especially to find God who you can go to and say, this is who I am. This is the good, the bad, the ugly of my life. Do you still love me? I think that's really the deepest longing of the human heart. And I think people look for it in relationships humanly, but I think spiritually that's what offers the greatest solace. And that's what changes everything because you have this experience of the love who never leaves you alone, mm -hmm. which orients everything. And that fills you up in a way that you want to give it to others. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah, I mean, even if you look for it in, in another person, they can still never fulfill that role. Like my wife can still never give me true uh, satiation. <laughs> like she'll never fulfill me as much as God will. So, yeah, I love that, what you just said. Jordan, who is your biggest faith influencer? Yeah, my biggest faith influencer, there have been a lot along the way. The one I kind of find another anchor in is St. Jose Maria Escriva. So a great saint out of Spain. I think it's Escriva. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you're getting a little too fancy over there. I'm just a small farm town boy. But St. Jose Maria, a Spanish priest who in the 1930s founded uh, a way of life within the Catholic church called Opus Dei, which is all about sanctifying ordinary life. And it's always been a part of the church's teaching that everyone's called to be a saint. It's not just for the select few. And everything we do when offered to God prayerfully for his glory can become a way of holiness, can become a way to heaven. Even the smallest thing when done with that great love uh, becomes heroic. Mm -hmm. And just pointing back to my own conversion, I was converted by a doctor who had a crucifix on his office wall mm -hmm. because he had sanctified the part of the kingdom of God that he had, his office, his professional work. 
And through him, I was converted. My brother was converted and I found my vocation and, and I've been blessed to be able to walk with other people on their journey into the church. So just that idea that um, every little thing has this immense value when done for the glory of God, but also um, that each one of us, we could do the same material thing. David, you and I could could do the same, uh, seemingly the same thing with the same output, mm-hmm. um, but because of who we are, each one of us is going to bring something spiritual, something personal to that to that action that the other one couldn't do because we bring the force of our personality and our spiritual identity to it. And that, that colors it in a certain way. Uh, and you experience this, especially in married life In married life, there's this commitment that uh, I have found this person who gives me an experience of God that I couldn't have on my own, or I couldn't have with this other person. Mm-hmm. And so in some way you're agreeing to kind of mediate your relationship in some way through the person that you love. And yeah, that, that force of, each one of us is a particular uh, incarnation of our own, of the goodness and the glory of God. And that gives each act of each one of us this particular individual and infinite value. Uh, so yeah, Jose Maria has been a huge, I'm not going to say his last name because you put me on his name. But he, I honestly had no idea. I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's been a huge influence for me um, Amen. along the way. I think that's awesome. Nobody wants to do that because the small things are just boring. I want to do grand things, but I love the... The intention and how you just explained the purpose, the perfectly doing the small things it brings my own spiritual essence to it and fulfills me. I don't know. I like it again. Gosh, I'm rambling again. Well, and if yeah. anyone, if anyone ever struggles with that, there's that beautiful saying by St. John of the Cross, where there is no love, put love and you will find love. Mm-hmm. And I think just in the, in kind of the ordinariness of life that kind of seems like a drudge or kind of seems mm-hmm. uh, commonplace. Uh, to adopt that mindset and to do it with love is where you'll you'll find it in the end. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing we like to talk about is that we're grateful no matter what. What are you most grateful for this week, Jordan? Yeah, what I'm most grateful for is that God wastes nothing. And in my own life experience, uh, I've had a lot of brokenness. I've had a lot of struggles. And there have just been some beautiful, beautiful opportunities for me this week to take some of the things that I struggled through, but that I found Christ in, uh, in a new way. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes the heart gets so loud in those moments where there's a struggle or a difficulty and you kind of wonder where God's at, but with some time and some perspective that, and when you quiet the heart, you're able to look back and see where God was. And at the time it seemed so difficult, but nothing's lost, nothing's wasted in the eyes of God. So this week I've been blessed to be able to take some experiences of where I saw God, even in the messiness of my life, and to share that with others who are struggling in similar circumstances and to be able to remind them that you're not alone here and that even if you don't see it immediately, uh, if we're able to quiet that heart, God can do beautiful things in your life too. So yeah, to be grateful that nothing is wasted and everything is made new in Christ. That's awesome. When do you become a deacon again? I'll be a deacon in June, so Perfect. just under a year now. I'm, I'm hearing like eight homilies in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. Um, we like to like to do a call to action each week to kind of challenge our, our thousands of listeners. Right, guys? <laughs> like they were going to agree with me. <laughs> so I think the call to action that really sticks with me in my mind is what you said of doing the small things well, um, because they're that's what the Lord has given you to do each day. And if you do, you put love in it, lo- you'll find love. I just love that 
that saying. And I think it's something that <laughs> we all can learn. So find something that you hate to do or something that you do it mundanely and try to do it with love this week. That is it. Jordan, do you want to end us with a prayer? Yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of the sacraments in which you make yourself present to us and you draw us towards yourself and our reception of them, which conforms us to your Son, Jesus Christ. As we go forward this week, help us to be inspired and to be strengthened in that, in that being conformed to Christ to do small things with great love, to be grateful no matter what, to spread the joy with which you have given us that we might always have an explanation of the hope you've placed within us so that we might draw others to you uh, because we know that ultimately you are the love who never leaves us alone. You are the rock that grounds us and help us to share that love we've experienced with others so that they might be fulfilled as well. We ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah. And thanks for listening and stay salty. <laughs>